1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be starting at verse 11. Uh, and just uh, as you might notice, uh, we're kind of under construction up here. Uh, there's a couple reasons why they've uh, done the platform. They haven't really actually extended it. I'm actually standing exactly where I always stand. I'm now just up higher. And the reason of why we needed me up higher is I needed you to see the best half of me. <laughs> Between my knees and my ankles. I have really sexy shins. <clears throat> my wife's shaking her head going, really? <laughs> All right, so we got our Bibles open to 1 Peter. Over the past several weeks, we've been learning about Peter's first letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And the key theme that, that keeps emerging is the importance of identity. Where we find our identity, folks, we've established through Peter's letter, actually drives how we live. Where our identity lies drives how we live. And so last week, Peter used a building analogy of Christ being the cornerstone of who we are. The most important piece of the foundation that sets the stage for how we live with the identity of being what Scripture says is in Christ. And we established last week, no other religious movement is in anything, right? You're not in Buddha. But in Christianity, you're in Christ, and that's identity-based. And he's established that when we believe in Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, we receive this new identity, and now we need to live into our new life, into our new identity. We need to find what that is, what that looks like, and how we go about living that. This newness that Scripture talks about, and specifically Peter in this letter, is an important theme in the Scriptures, especially in Peter's writings. And last week, Peter called us some interesting things. He said that we are the temple, the place in which God dwells by his spirit, and that we're a royal priesthood with direct access to God. Now this, folks, is a drastic new identity to a Jew or a Gentile, to be a temple, to be a kingdom of priests. This is all identity language. And this is where we left off last week. Peter said this in verse 10. He said, once you had no identity as, as a people, now you are God's people. And once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So the core of our new identity is that we are now part of God's family. We've been welcomed into a new home a new family, and this means that we need to learn about this new family and find out what is expected of us in our new home. Now, everyone has, every home has certain expectations, and last week, we went over what some of those responsibilities that we have been given by Scripture as a kingdom of priests. And so, in today's passage, we're going to continue to talk about this new identity. Peter never leaves this theme. And he's specifically going to pick things up from the freedom aspect of our new identity, the freedom that this new identity brings us. And so there's two paragraphs that we're going to deal with specifically today. And the first talks about the freedom from our desires. 
that we actually need to be freed from our own desires. And the second is our freedom as it relates to authority. So much fun this is going to be to preach today. We get to talk about the government, all kinds of fun things. And so uh, I'm going to do my best to draw this directly from Scripture. My wife keeps saying to me, do not give them your opinion. I try not to, so I'll try to give you Scripture's opinion. Let's, uh, let's pick it up at verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials as his appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Father, as we journey through this passage, I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds to hear what it is that your scripture has to say this morning. Fun passage, eh? This is when you preach through a book of the Bible and you're like, really? Although next week I get to talk about slavery and the week after that I get to talk about wives and husbands. So we're in for a really good time after the next little while. In this first paragraph, Peter uses some really strong language. He's warning us. He's warning us as people who don't belong in this culture, as temporary residents, he said. That is identity-based. As temporary residents, he's warning us that we should keep away, or some uh, interpretations say abstain, from worldly desires. And so when you read this in the context of identity, the temporary residency, and freedom, the choice to choose how we live, we see that there are two issues in this text. Peter's saying that the freedom we live in has its challenges. We can lose the freedom we have in Christ because of government laws, which we're going to talk about later in the message, or we can lose our freedom because of our desires. That's the interesting one to me, that, that Scripture says we can lose our freedom because of our desires. Our desires expose our true identity, and they drive how we shape living our life. For instance, if someone struggles with addiction, they desire what they are addicted to. This begins to drive their lives. If it's alcohol or drugs or pornography, these desires begin to take over who you are. They affect your freedom. They affect how you make choices in your life. 
Many people in our culture lose their freedom from addictions like these. But the reality is, these forms of addiction and loss of freedom are not actually the most common worldly desires that we struggle with in our society. The most common form of addiction in the Western world is self-centeredness. The most common form of addiction in the, in the Western world is self-centeredness. Folks, we are drastically addicted to self. And Peter says this self-desire that we have, which is rooted in original sin, wages war against our very souls. And it pulls us away from God and drives us toward living our lives, as Scripture says, as a slave to sin. So in today's passage, Peter gives the people some advice. Remember, they're exiled people. They're people that are foreigners. They're not being treated well. And he gives us three ways that they can begin, that we can begin to live free. You see, I don't actually think most of us are living free. Even though in our country we have freedom, are we truly living free? And this freeness that Peter talks about is actually identity-based. And so he gives us three things in this passage. He says, embrace your new identity in Christ. Embrace it, find it, learn about it. And then he says, abstain or keep away from desires of the flesh and to do good works. This is the formula that Peter gives us to become free. Now, I want to back up for a second. In order to understand what Peter is teaching us, we need to go back to what the Bible understands of identity and freedom, because I think it's very different than in our Western culture how we define identity and freedom, and specifically how Scripture ties identity and freedom together. In the Bible, they're not separate things. You don't have this identity and then this freedom. Identity and freedom are tied together in Scripture. Let me explain. In our culture, we believe that we are free when we don't have to submit to authorities that keep us from acting on our natural desires. How many people feel restricted when you don't get to do what you want to do? That's how we define freedom. I'm free, I'm not restricted when I get to do what I want to do. When I get to give you my opinion and you listen to my opinion, I'm now free. So to the world, our path to freedom is to knock down any authority that limits our power or freedom to live how we choose. The biblical view of freedom, folks, is very, very different than that view. The biblical view, when we look at freedom in the context of how Peter is explaining it in this letter, Peter says this. He says that you are free when our choices take place within a framework that fits our true or new identity. So when you're making choices in a framework that fit this new identity called in Christ, that is when you actually have freedom. Folks, I want you to notice there, it's nothing about us. Notice how the word 
world's definition of freedom is based on what we want and based on our desires. And the biblical view is based on our new identity in Christ being the driving force behind what we want. Let me give you another analogy. How many people like to run? Well, this is going to hit like a lead brick. There's like not a single runner in here. As you can notice, I really enjoy running. I'm going to use a running analogy because I've always wanted to be a runner. I dream of being a runner. I've shared this before, and I've never managed to make it longer than two weeks of actually being a runner. But this analogy uh, that I'm stealing from someone else, I don't remember who, I'd give them credit if I could, is about cross-country running. Does anybody ever remember doing that in high school or watching somebody do cross-country running in high school? And it's built off of an analogy from Psalms, chapter 119, verse 32, where it says this, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Now, this picture here shows a cross-country running track. It's a beautiful cross-country running track. Anybody that's into running knows that running on the grass is actually better for your body than running on cement. And anybody that's into cross-country goes, oh, that's a, that's a really nice track. You can see how the track is all nicely cut and there's nice grass on it. But then beside the track, we've got long grass and weeds and things like that. Now, if my identity was built on being a cross-country runner... If that's my identity, I am a cross-country runner, where do you think I would choose to run? On the prepared track. The one that's groomed beautifully and prepared for exactly what my identity is driven to do. I would run on the grass path. Or do you think my identity as a runner would cause me to run through the long grass and the weeds? Like you see how this curves, right? So really, if I was a smart person, wouldn't I just cut through the weeds to get to the next section? Forget driving all the way, or driving, I'd be driving. <laughs> Everybody else is running around the corner. Like, couldn't you just cut through the pathway there in the weeds? Wouldn't that, like, you wouldn't have as many kilometers to run if you just kept cutting corners through the path. But see, if my identity is built on being a cross-country runner, there is no way that I would ever run through the weeds because I know that running through the long grass would actually slow me down. But if my true identity was not built on being a cross-country runner, I just like the idea of being a runner, but I'm not willing to learn how to run properly I would then think that going through this long grass would be the shortest route and would save me time. You see, if my true identity, now my wife makes fun of this analogy, but I really like it. If my true identity was based on me enjoying picking weeds, if I was actually identified as a weed picker, as I'm running down that beautiful path, claiming to have the identity of a cross-country runner, but my real identity is actually rooted in picking weeds, 
where would I actually end up? In the long grass. See, they get it, honey. (laughs) You see, Peter is telling us something here. He's telling us not just abstain from the desire itself and the actions the desire causes. He's telling us to build our freedom on what drives our desire, our identity, which turns and drives our actions in the direction of where our identity lies. So if I'm a weed picker, I'm going to leave the track and I'm going to go pick weeds. If I'm truly a cross-country runner, I'm going to stay on the path of least resistance. You see, that path that God gives us as those with their identity in Christ is the path of loving God and loving others. This is the path of his commands. That's what the Psalms are talking about. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, a very familiar passage where Jesus says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your minds, and all your strength. The second, so this is what are the two most important commands. If you're going to live on the path of his commands, what do you need to know? The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You see, biblical freedom is driven by our identity in Christ. We are only living in that freedom when we are living the path of his commands, which is to love God and love others. Now, this is why Peter says that our desires wage war against our very souls. Because if your desire is to be a weed picker, you're never going to actually succeed at cross-country running. You're always going to land in the weeds. And he, has, he says that we have to be careful to live properly, to live as God has commanded us to live. We live this way because how we behave affects others around us. And since we are foreigners, that's the identity that he's giving these folks and us, we have to be even more careful to make sure we run our lives on the cross-country path, not through the long grass. The reason for this is so that no one can accuse us of not being a true runner. The reason for this, folks, why we watch our life is so that no one can accuse us of not being a true runner. You see, in the cross-country world, the moment someone took off into the long grass and the weeds, they would instantly know that you're not a true runner, that you're someone who would choose to take shortcuts and not run the proper way. And it's our identity that drives where we run our lives. So Peter stresses that we need to be careful that our selfish desires don't drive our identities. need to be careful that our selfish desires don't drive our identities. Instead, living God's commands drives who you are. People are going to notice. And when they do, they'll either be driven toward God because of our, our behavior shows them the path to God, or our behavior shows them that we are not truly who we claim to be. Now, Peter's going to give us a number of real life 
examples to illustrate what he means by this warning. So this passage at the beginning, this first section, is actually setting us up for the next several weeks of teachings. And so I'm just going to touch on the first one today, but as we get into slavery, as we get into wives and husbands, they're all actually linked to our identity in this paragraph that I'm first taught on, this warning to keep away from worldly desires. Don't allow the worldly desires to drive your identity, which in turn pushes people away from Jesus. So these real examples, the first one that he starts with is, I think, the best one. And I think it's the best one because it's actually the one that has saturated the church the most, and it's actually the one we struggle with the most. And that is what we do with authority. You see, in the context of everything that I just taught, listen to where Peter goes with his first example. He says, for the, sake, for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, not for other people's sakes, but for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Now, how many people just like hair stood up on their back? How many people have hairy backs? <laughs> submit, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or emperor, or the officials as he is appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. So let God's commands be your desire as you do this for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Now, how on earth does this fit together? If Peter's talking about our identity and how we live, why would he start to talk about the government and human authorities? Why on earth does this fit? Well, I actually think that he's launching off of what he's taught so far in this letter. I think it actually connects perfectly together. And what better way to challenge us than with our natural, sinful desire to push back against authority? Remember our definition of freedom? Our natural desire to push back against those who stop us from doing what we want to do. We see that as somebody tearing away our freedom, but the Bible does not define that as your freedom. The Bible defines it on what path you're running and how you're making your choices within that pathway. Submitting to authority is a perfect opportunity to see where our true identity is lies. Remember, culture defines freedom as knocking down anything that stops you from what you want to do. Scripture describes freedom as making choices within the framework that fits your true identity, which is based on God's command to love God and love others. Let me unpack this a little bit. See, Peter challenges us to submit to those in authority. This challenge is the perfect way to retrain our natural bend to rebel and get what we desire. He's retraining our minds and our desires, and he's refocusing them onto the path of his commands. This is not just something that Peter came up with. This isn't just in Peter's context. 
Jesus himself actually says this when he's asked about Caesar. It says in Matthew 22, verse 21, Caesar, they replied, whose money is this they're talking about? He says, well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, he takes that teaching and he says this in Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone, not just some, not just people who are on board with that political party, but he says everyone must submit to governing authorities. Anybody uncomfortable yet? We should look at our Facebook posts and see how we're doing. Everyone must submit to government authorities for all authority has come from where? God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. You see, folks, how we respond to authority tells us what our identity is truly built on. And it's an indicator of what you desire. I love that Peter jumps into the most difficult thing right off the bat. I was a little mad at him on Wednesday. But I've embraced it today because I, I think that he's helping us to understand just, just how difficult this actually can be when we don't allow the Spirit to guide our life. Especially if you actually know the history and the context behind this passage. You see, a few of us are probably going, oh, this is really tough. I don't like the current government. I don't like my current boss. I don't like people that are in authority. I want change to happen in that. Let me give you a little bit of a context of the statement that Peter is actually making. There is a person in the role of emperor at this time named Nero. In a minute, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Nero, but I want to first establish why did God establish authority and government in the first place? Because this was actually a God thing. If you've ever read the Old Testament, it's blatantly there of why he brought governance into place. Now, a lot of people have opinions on how we think our government is doing, and most of these opinions, folks, are actually based on what we want or what we think is right. But this is actually really misleading and the wrong approach on how to look at government. It's a misunderstanding, actually, of what the role of government is in our society. The basic role of the government is one thing, to keep order in society. That's the basic definition of what the government is there for, to keep order. Government is put into place by God because of our fallen nature and our inability to keep order without a governing body doing it for us. Now, if you disagree with me on that, just read the Bible. Read the Old Testament, and you see that every time there was no one in an authoritative role, things went haywire. Every time God allowed people to make their own decisions and live by their own desires, things went really, really, really bad. And so what we see is, is God put people into place with the role to keep order in society because of our sinful nature, we are not able to do that 
the way we want to. And history tells us that when a government falls, things go really poorly. Even in the church, folks, I know we, we, we don't like to hear this, but even in the church, God places people in authority. He gave the church leadership structures, such as elders and deacons, with the role of keeping order in the church. Yet even in the church culture, we see rebellion against authority, mostly because the people in authority have maybe done something that we don't like. Now let's back up again. Remember this guy named Nero that I talked about? In the context of this passage, Peter is saying exiles, foreigners, the ones who are being persecuted, you need to respect the emperor. And that emperor, his name is Nero. Nero's an interesting chap probably the worst emperor in Roman history. Nero killed Christians on a regular basis. Nero accused the Christians of most of the negative things that happened in, during his reign. Nero, to give you a picture of what Nero was like, literally burned down Rome because he wanted to rebuild it in his vision. He kind of trumps Justin Trudeau, doesn't he? You see, if you think that we have it bad right now, the context of what Peter is saying here, they must have responded and said, that's impossible. There is no way that I can respect and honor Nero. There's no way that I can submit to Nero's authority. Nero's a tyrant. Nero's crazy. Nero accuses me of things that I didn't even do. And yet... It's exactly what scripture tells them to do. He's telling these Christians to submit to Nero's authority. It's absolutely crazy. If we think we got a bad folks, look up Nero, Google it. The rest of the passage actually explains this. Listen to what Peter says in verse 14. Or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. There is what's showing the, the government keeping order, that that's their role. And then in verse 15 to 17, he clears all of this up for us. He says, it is God's will, that should set off our senses, right? It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Here's the sentence that tells you everything. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So do, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again. For you are free... Yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God, and respect Nero. 
For you are free, yet you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. We're called to live under God's command to love others. And we do this with everyone, not just believers, not just the government who does our will. So this means that we submit to the authorities when they are asking us to do things that help to keep order in society. There's one time when we don't that scripture talks about. The only time that we go against the authorities is when they're asking us to go against something God has commanded. Our path is the path of God's commands, not the path of our government, but when our government doesn't do what we want or what we agree with, but it's not against God's commands, we're just putting our desire on the government. So there's going to be rules and regulations and and policies that the government comes out with that we don't agree with personally, that we think go against the scriptures. But if the government is saying, well, you can make your choice, then we don't have to ramp up against it because they are just trying to keep order. Can I tell you a little secret? The government's not Christian. And... We're not supposed to try and make it that way. The government's role is to bring peace, order in society. I actually think history tells us when the government was Christian, it led to war and killing. Look it up. The only time that we go against authority is when they're asking us directly to do something that's against God's commands. We don't force the government to push Christian values because they're just bringing order to society. And the minority of people in Canada are Christians, not the majority. So God calls us to retrain ourselves by going against our natural desires to fight for what we want. He calls us to live our life with respect and love for others, showing the world the freedom that we have because of our identity in Christ. And that freedom is about running down the path of his commands. John chapter 14, verse 15 says a very profound statement that Jesus says to his disciples. He's saying this to us. He says, if you love me, Obey my commands. Take up the cause of living your life in Christ. The worship team can join me. Let them shape your identity and drive your desires. Catch it, notice it. When you're pushing a desire that is based out of the major addiction in our life, which is self-centeredness. You see, when we're being self-centered, when it's about what we want instead of what God wants, we're running in the weeds. And we're showing that our identity is actually being weed pickers. We're just claiming to be cross-country runners. It should become very obvious in your life 
that you're a cross-country runner. And when you really are living the identity that Scripture calls us to in Christ, people see that beautifully groomed pathway to run on. So don't fall back into temptation of following your desires. Learn to follow his desires. And the people around you will notice it, and it will show them the way to the Father. Have you ever noticed, if any of you attempt to witness, how your words are received? I really believe that what lines up your words is your actions. And if your actions have been saturated in love and respect, someone might be willing to hear your words. But if your words don't line up with your actions, no one is willing to listen. Folks, Peter uses an example of government which hits us hard, it's going to get worse. As he talks about slaves, as he talks about husbands and wives and how they interact together, all of this is in the framework of not living your life based on your desires, but living your life in your identity built on Christ, which is driven by his desires. So you stand with me this morning. And as we sing this last song, all I want you to do is in your heart, ask the Lord, am I a cross-country runner? Am I running on the path of your commands? And Lord, if I'm not, can you pull me out of the weeds? Can you help reorient the way that I think and teach me to live by your commands? Because you said, Lord, if I love you, I will obey your commands. And so I want to challenge you to have enough self-awareness to recognize that you might actually be a weed picker. And it's okay. Because God has groomed a beautiful running path for us. And his Holy Spirit keeps trying to drag us back to build our identity as a runner. Father, we thank you for difficult teachings like this that check our spirit. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would guide us and shape us into who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.